Welcome to The Things We Say. I'm Sheldon. And I'm Nate. This is a topical podcast where the topics are chosen at random. Sometimes they will be profound, and sometimes they will be stupid. But no matter what, we have a lot to say about them. We are known for the things we do. We become the things we think. We live the things we believe. These are the things we say. back on the things we say. I'm Sheldon. And I'm Nate. It's been a while, but we're happy to be talking with you guys again. Always. And um, I don't know what we wanted to start this off with. <laughs> also, my mind went blank. Well, Sorry, we, have, we have rearranged the room down here, so that may be part of the disorientation yes. that we're both experiencing. And uh, But I kind of like it. it. It feels cleaner. It feels more on purpose. Yes. And... Uh, I haven't sat across at the table from Sheldon in a while, and it feels odd. Yeah, we're going to have to get back in the saddle. We are. We are. It's, we've just been busy. We've had life going on. We need to prep for these podcasts. So yes. tonight we had this in mind for probably two, three weeks, and we're excited to Yes, we're semi-prepared for this one. Yes, that's We're good. semi-prepared. But, you know, I, I was thinking about that. I, I had that moment where I'm like, are we just going to let this go? Are we just kind of done? Have we, like, passed this point in life? And I'm like... No, this has just been a lull, and, it's been a lull. and we're going to get back at it because we enjoy it, and yeah. it's good. Yeah, And in we the need meantime, something to get some of these troublesome ideas out of our heads. In the meantime, one of the things I was working on is I spent the summer teaching through Revelation, yes. so that was wonderful. Let's talk um, a little bit about yeah, that. Yeah, we let's could spend do that. some time on that. <laughs> so I taught through Revelation with our high school group, and that was fun. And I was, at first I was like, well, how do you go through <laughs> Revelation? Because, and I think we talked about it when Scott Johnson was on the podcast, right. which I was so glad we actually oh, got to sit across from him and do that. Yeah. And Scott is no longer with us. So I know. for those of you that are maybe listening to episode by episode, that doesn't seem that long ago on the podcast. Right. But in real time, it's been a little while. Yeah. And uh, coming up on a year, man. Yeah, it's crazy. But he's a guy we miss a ton, and we just really felt uh, privileged to get to have that time with him. But uh, one of the things that came out of that podcast was um, it it helped me peel some of the veneer away from um, being taught elements of dispensationalism most of my life, and be able to view um, Revelation in in a better historical context. Yeah. Maybe how it's been taught in church for 1,800 years before dispensationalism entered the conversation. Right. And getting, um, going back and just um, reading Revelation chapter by chapter and listening to people that weren't in that vein yeah. was so helpful because I don't need a system. What I need is to hold the Old Testament in my hands. Yep. And say, how does this tie into stuff that's in the Old Testament? And when you get into prophecy and you get into visions and you get into like how uh, those prophetic narratives would have been told, you have to use Old Testament prophecy, right? Because those are the and people think that John just had this vision and jotted down exactly what he saw, but he is still a first 
century Jewish person right. that has in mind the voices of the prophets. He has he's a context. He's seeking to validate him, his, what he's seeing as well to his audience right. and say, this is the God of the Old Testament. This is the God of the New Testament. This is Jesus that we knew fully glorified in the end, doing what he said he would do. Yeah. And in order to do that, you're drawing on material that everyone has in common. So you're, you're drawing on Isaiah, you're drawing on Jeremiah, you're drawing on like symbols that, and, and um, other cultural things that people would recognize. Right. And so we are divorced from a lot of that and a lot of revel we're divorced from that first century context right. just because we're people of a different era mm -hmm. but we're also uh disconnected from a little bit from how they would have heard what John was saying right even in connection with the old testament stuff cuz they would have had in mind what he had in mind and being a he was a pastor it was later on in his life he would have taught the scriptures with authority and taught it very well. And he had the context of having walked with Jesus right. and all of that. And now he's seeing this vision of the the last days or the church age and, and what is to come. And when he's saying these things are about to take place, a lot of things in Revelation, and a couple, I will just give you my takeaways, and that is if I were to teach through Revelation again, with a adult audience and not teenagers, I would have a couple signs at the front of the room. One of those would say, <laughs> we are not talking about when. <laughs> and so that as neither teaching, was John, neither was John and neither was any of his audience. Like this is not a when conversation and people are like, so this happens and then that happens and this happens. No, we are not talking about when. And the other thing that you need to keep in mind reading Revelation is that it is not a timeline of sequential events. Right. It is a vision. And John is giving you his vision in the order that he saw it, not in, in order of a timeline of how things play out. Right. In fact, it's more circular storytelling than most people would ever give it right. credit for because most people that are teaching Revelation are teaching you their system. And they're not... They're not understanding how John is talking about the same thing from multiple different viewpoints in multiple different ways. And he keeps circling back over. You see the, the end of all things like three or four different right. times. And it clearly ends. And then he goes back and he tells another like thing that he saw. <laughs> and then that one ends. Like if you, if you follow some trains, you get two returns of Christ. Mm -hmm. It's no good. Right. That, and, and you get like a secret rapture of the church and, and things like that, where it's like, oh, people are just somehow shuttled out of the scene and no one knows why or how, and it wasn't very clear. And I'm like, one thing that we are going to see in Revelation is every eye will see. Mm -hmm. every, there will be no, no doubt. doubt. There's no there's no mystery as to what is taking place right. when, when those things happen. Well, and as so many things in Scripture, I mean, the biggest thing that I look at with Revelation and the biggest thing I look at with the idea of end times is like, if it scares you, if you are a follower of Jesus and it scares you, you're not seeing it correctly. Right. Because we have nothing to fear. Mm -hmm. The Holy Spirit is not going to instill fear in us when we have come and we are covered by the blood of Jesus and we have been saved. Like, there is no reason to fear. And so... If these things are causing anxiety, if they're causing fear, if they stop because you're chasing the wrong rabbit trail. 
follow the peace because that's where the Holy Spirit is. If you have him in you, if you have, if you have surrendered your life to him, and if there is fear involved in these things, then you're looking at the wrong things. And the other sign would say it's better to hold the Old Testament in your hand than a New York Times. Mm. And you, you will not do well <laughs> reading Revelation and saying, oh, I see that over here. Let's not do that. Mm-hmm. Unless you're saying, I see that over here in the Old Testament. Yeah. That's more helpful than saying, oh, I see that over here. Because there are things that are ripped word for word from Daniel and from some of the other prophetic visions. It's like word for word. Yeah. And sometimes John will say it in the exact opposite way in order to show fulfillment or right. like this was promised as a curse and now it is a blessing. That kind of like he'll reverse his phrases. Um, and even even some of that gets a little weird because they'll they'll um, some Bible scholars have probably rightly said that John is uh, speaking in Greek but thinking in Hebrew. Mm-hmm. So there are some of his Greek phrases that are clunky. Right. And Greek students would say, like, this isn't proper Greek grammar, but it works out in Hebrew. Mm-hmm. And if, yeah, anyway, take that for what it is. It is not an easy read. It is not as simple as some people make it out to be. And a lot of it is very symbolic. And as you're going through it with, as I was going through it with the teens, there's a lot of things that just make you go, what on earth is happening yeah. here? Yeah. And there are some good explanations for stuff, but you have to dig in and you have to like divorce yourself from a system and say, I want to understand, is there an Old Testament relation to what I'm talking about? Right. So, yeah, we've done a revelation podcast, right. but that was fun. But system- it was system- a fun time. And, and I told the kids at the outset, I said, we are told that this book is to be a blessing right at the very beginning. Blessed is whoever reads right. this book. Okay, So it's supposed to be a blessing, and it was supposed to encourage a persecuted church. <laughs> if you read Revelation and it is not encouraging, you're not doing it correctly. Mm-hmm. And so one of the best things happened at the end of it. We got through all of it, and we did a session where they were just talking about, what did you learn? from Revelation, any thoughts, any questions, things still like stirring in your soul that you want to get up and out. And one of the girls was like, I got to say this, this was a very encouraging thing for me. And I had a lot of fear going in and I, I really enjoyed it. I really like took a lot out of it. I felt, I felt like this was an encouraging experience. And I was like, wow, it is. (laughs) And, and as a trainer, like that's my day job. One of the times, one of the past trainings that I did, somebody wrote on there, like one of their takeaways, and it was word for word, one of the things that I opened with and said, this is one of the goals for the training. Mm. When you see that line of connection, if you can state your goal at the beginning of the training and someone gives you feedback at the end, that's like, this is what I took away. Yeah. And this is what I intended to communicate then you're like, wow. I accomplished something. At least for that one person. That's right. They caught the through thread, Mm -hmm. and they understood why we were here and doing the thing. And to hear that from one of the teens, like, I'm not one of those that adults have to run around looking for validation from children. Right. But that I wanted to encourage them, and it was cool to see the group 
being encouraged and, and enjoying it. So, yeah. 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 I've been, I've just been in general, just been in that place of like being okay with challenging systems. Um, and I don't mean this in like the eye rolling, uh, deconstructionist way, but the reality is that, you know, and from our, well, my, from my long-term tradition and you're now a firm tradition, like reason is a big deal. Right. And tradition is a big deal, but it all comes back to scripture. Yeah. It's all, it all, you know, bows to scripture, if you will. And I would say there is, there is a system that I'm following and that is, I want to read this in the voice of the person who was telling it and from the perspective from which he meant it to be understood. Right. Because that's the whole point. And, and that would be my goal. And, and it's, it's a historical, like faithful to the text view. Mm-hmm. It's not, but I, I, I refuse to just be like, oh, this neatly fits in with a system that right. tells me things about when, right? which I literally don't care don't about. Care. And I think it's one of the things we're not supposed to care about. So I do have a system when I'm going through it and it was, it was good. So I can leave it at that without trying to That's hijack great. the whole podcast. That's great. And I, my only regret is that I didn't get to participate. I would have loved to have sat through that class and, and, and witnessed it happening. The, the trouble with that is I had Sunday mornings throughout the whole summer where teens were showing up during first service and then they participated in second service, like big church. Yeah. And, um, having captured adults for 14 weeks to go through something in which I'm not giving you answers. We're learning together. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying like, this is what you have to believe about this thing. And here's where we're arriving at. Like we're learning and being encouraged together. That is difficult for adults to commit to. Yeah. And they like, there's very few adults that would be like, Oh, I want to go through 14, 15, 16 weeks of this. Right. But I, I would refuse to do it any, any shorter quicker than that. Yeah, agreed. Because there's a lot there. There's a lot. Yeah. I actually think it's interesting because I think if, of all the classes you could teach that people would be there for the long haul, Revelation is one. Revelation is one of the few that people will show up for because there's, there's so much just stuff related to it. Well, people have fear tied to it yeah. and they have opinions tied to it. But I, I honestly wonder how many people would make it out of the first three chapters with me mm-hmm. as adults. Yeah. Because one of the things that was helpful with the teens is they didn't have a lot of this baked in. Right. That a lot of them are reading through their Bibles for the first time. Right. As like young adults, like right. teenagers, they're, they're just starting to take on faith as their own and start to dive in. So they don't have... And they didn't grow up in the culture that I did where we had left behind and all that. Right. That was trying to teach us a particular thing about Revelation. And then I'm reading backwards from left behind into Revelation, which was problematic. Very problematic. <laughs> and then, so, like, they didn't have a lot of that. And so what was nice is, and I talked about it with our youth pastor, I was telling her, it is nice to almost give that inoculation against stupid. Yeah. So that... W- these kids, some of the things that they've heard might have went right over their heads. Mm-hmm. But when they hear some gobbledygook taught by somebody out there that's trying to make you do a particular thing, right? a lot of cults dabble in revel- revelation. So if you got some wacko cult leader out there trying to tell you that this particular thing in revelation means this, right? at least our kids could go, yeah, that's not what revelation <laughs> means at all. <laughs> Oh man! So that's the goal. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned you mentioned cults, 
and I've been having some interesting conversations with, with my wife, with Kayla, about one of the things that I think is interesting is that there are so many current movements within Christianity, whether it's charismatic or um, even certain aspects of fundamentalism, different things like that, where people who are opposed to it will point to it and say, well, that's a cult because they do this, 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 and this. And I'm like, no, because their actual orthodox, like, their, their, their doctrine, what they believe, is not outside the realm of biblical, biblically correct. They may focus on something more than they should, but it's not necessarily outside of the realm of, of biblically right. correct. The problem is, is that so many of these movements have adopted cult-like practices mm. in the way that they control their populace, in the way that they control their their adherents and the way that they control their ministry schools or whatever. And I've actually determined, we talked about this, I will never, ever give my blessing for any of my children to go to a ministry school. Ever. Not ever. As many as, as I've seen over the years and the ways that I've seen them go, even the well-intentioned ones, the ones that had like solid theologians that's that were taking a part credi- of them. Accredited something accredited as more right. like supposed to be practical, right. spiritual training. When, when, I was, when, I was, when I was in high school, uh, the big one was Brownsville Revival School of Ministry, which ended up falling apart, and I think it became uh, something called Fire School of Ministry now, which is in, I think, North Carolina. Uh, Dr. Bethel, Michael Brown. Bethel has a Bethel is kind of, and it's kind of superseded that. Yeah. And again, I, I would, I, I would I, not look I at... I almost tried to go to one of these, and it was much smaller. Yeah. And it was connected with a charismatic church in the area that I was in, and... Like they had a little school. Yeah. And I remember taking the paper to my parents and being like, I'd like to take a couple of classes here and see what's going on. And my parents kind of looked over the paper and they were like, yeah, I don't know about this. Yeah. And I was at the time I was like, why? Like they seem like good people. And I kind of bounced it back and forth with them a little bit. And they were just, no, let's let's go another route. So I actually went to an accredited school for a year. Right. And that was what I needed. It, I just at that time coming out of high yeah. school, I just needed a year to kind of I I look back on it and I kind of took a sabbath out of my life to like mm-hmm. just take a break from some things, figure out who I wanted to be, where I wanted to go. I didn't have everything figured out, but I just ran out of money to stay in school and I was yeah. like I'm not willing <laughs> to go into debt for all this. I think I want to work. Yeah. Like I want to work and get some money and, and figure out what I want to do. So that's all I really needed. And I almost signed up for that little school. And that actually would have been a disaster yeah. looking back on it. That, right. That my parents saved me from. Right. Some. Right. And again, there it's not that I have anything against these places and no. the, and the, I mean, and even good places. I mean, even places like the Dream Dream Center, and I'm not saying these other places aren't good places, but places that people normally don't have pause about. P- places like the Dream Center in, in L.A. or, you know, Christ for the Nations, or even YWAM. Like, I'm just, I'm not about... You're naming several other places I almost went. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and my issue with them is, is it's the same issue that I take with, um, like, people that ask me if my six-year-old son is in Little League yet. And I'm like, no. I can teach him the fundamentals, and I want to teach him the fundamentals. Right. I don't want him with some angry dad coach who's concerned about fulfilling some ridiculous fantasy he has about winning in baseball and berating my son and making him feel like, no, I want to teach him how to play baseball, and then eventually he will be allowed to play baseball if that's what he wants to do. I feel the same way about a lot of these things. Like My kid coming right out of high school, like I'm not going to send them off to a place that is outside of, of my circle of influence at that stage 
and say, yeah, go do this thing with people who I know not. Why don't you come with me and, and serve the people around you? Exactly, exactly. And that's, I'd be far more apt to say, yeah, okay, we're going to find a way for you to volunteer and serve at the church we're at. You're going to be an actual community. You're going to have the actual accountability of being here. And then if you're going to go to school or if you're going to go to work, like that's fine. That's out from under my purview. But if you're looking for something instructive in that way, that is not that is something that I can provide you. I'm not going to send you off to let right. somebody else do that. Um, and for me, that's not a control thing. It's a it's a like this is reality. This is what I live in. This is what I do. Especially being one who's in ministry, like I understand this, and there are things I can teach you, yeah. and I will do that up to a point when you're ready to go out and do your own thing. And uh, I just I've seen too many of these things over the years just not not produce well. You know, I, I think they're well intentioned. I I don't think they're you know. I don't think they're scams. I don't think they're any of that. I just think that they're not set up to succeed or help those that come through them to succeed. They're, they're, yeah, that's, that's all I will say about that. But interesting. it is interesting. It is interesting to see some of the controls that are used in some of these movements um, that I think are done in the, in the name of maintaining them and from a good place of wanting to maintain them that become like cultish controlling practices, which are really weird. Um, Anyway, that's a whole side note. Yeah, it got me thinking about that because we've been talking about that a good bit. And uh, yeah, one of the other things that we were working on together is me and Nate have been teaching our basics class at church, and we did a just recently did a large class where we had like three hours with all yeah. our new members and took them through like the the basic steps of faith, um, introduction to our church, our values, our mission, and then introduction to who Nazarenes are as a whole and all of that stuff. And it was really good. Um, in the middle of that, there was a question on, like, what do you guys think about deconstruction? Mm. And I thought it was really good um, how we went about it. One of the things that I was talking about is that um, I, I, I appreciate people who are trying to get to truth. Yeah. And I think that is a noble quest. It is, it is good to get to truth because we know that truth is a person. Right, And at the bottom of that, you're going to find Jesus. Like, right. If you're intent about staying open, you have an open heart, a teachable spirit, and you are about getting to truth, you will, you will find Jesus. That's, that's if, you're, if you're a Christian and you've been hurt by the church or church people or whatever yeah. it is, and you're saying, I want to figure out which part of my faith is me and which part of the faith is genuinely me and genuinely Jesus. Yeah then you are not in the process of deconstruction. Mm -hmm. What you are doing is you are in the process of constructing a faithful uh, faith walk. Like right. you're, you're, you're trying to construct right. a genuine I would faith call it walk. ownership. Like you're, you're yeah. taking hold yourself. Yeah, but you're building on something, and the foundation of that is I desire to be in relationship with God, yeah. and I don't want anything in between that hinders that. Yeah. I want to genuinely live my life for his honor and for his glory and connected to him. So I am you're actually in the process of construction. Yeah. Like if you're saying, I'm looking at my foundation and there's things in here that are shaky, I want to remove those and replace it with something good and solid that I can anchor to, good anchor points. Yeah. The cornerstone of that, of course, is Jesus Christ. But I, I a couple things I challenged our group with, I said we need, first of all, we know that this building process is done in community. Yeah. Like we are built together. We are to encourage each other. We are to build each other up. 
That's yeah. what the body of Christ is to be about. And we're also supposed to be part of a body. And that that process is done in community. Right. But it's also based in and founded on Jesus Christ and who he is and who he has revealed himself to be. Right. And so Which is part s- of the surrender process. Yes. There's certain things you don't get to have an opinion about. Right. Yeah. And, and you start there and you build your way up, but that even that goal is construction. Yes. It is about construction. And I understand when people say deconstruction, they mean a wide variety of things. Mm-hmm. But I've seen too many people, um, I would say, jackhammering up parts of their foundation right. that A, are irreplaceable, yes, and B, they are genuinely put there by God. So some of that you have to be careful right? because deconstruction is the process of demolition. Mm-hmm. Construction is saying, okay, if I'm going to build up my faith and I'm going to add on to it and continue to build further and higher and farther that my kids can stand on this. I'm like generations after me can stand on what I've right. done. Then I'm going to be faithful about doing it right. And I'm going to be about the process of making sure I don't remove anything that I shouldn't. Right. And I'm going to be really quick about removing things that are revealed to me to be bad. Right. So, yeah, I, I, I don't like to throw out deconstructionists as all like faithless weirdos. No, because I'm not on that well, train. But also, I also want to guard people against claiming that they are deconstructionist because what you should be about, right? What all of us should be about is about the process of construction and building something that lasts, right? And whether that's legacy or for sure. ministry, whatever for sure. it is. Well, and I think it's interesting, too, because I, I find that most of the people who, who really gravitate into the, what I'll call the aggressive deconstructionism or uh, the angry deconstructionism, I guess, is, is people who were in environments where there were always answers. Mm. And I don't mean that in the sense of, yes, let's seek out the answers together. It's that when you, have, when you come with a question there is a battering ram answer for you right now, and this is what it is, or else you're a heretic, or else you're not saved, or else you're, like, there's always or, a, an answer like that. Or even pat answers. Right. Like, it right. might not be forceful, like, you have to take this answer, but right. it's like, oh, here's our postcard answer yeah. for that problem. And, and I think that it, it's interesting because I've, I've been watching this pattern for a while, and, and guys, I, I know I take a lot of swings at fundamentalism, but I, I take a lot of the swings at, at charismatics for a lot of the same stuff too because I do consider them a lot, of, a lot of two sides of the same coin. I believe that you are believers in those systems. I do not believe they are sinful. I do not believe that they are they're inherently wrong. or I believe that there are abuses within them that are just readily apparent that sometimes people don't want to face is basically what it comes down to. And that's why you hear a lot about these things from me. But it is interesting to me because I've watched the pattern and I feel like so many of the really aggressive deconstructionists are the ones who come from fundamentalist backgrounds. Now, I have seen some charismatics do this as well, but they're typically charismatics who came to the charismatic movement out of fundamentalism, came to the charismatic movement, and then from there took a, a, a U-turn back to deconstructionism. Um, because I, I find a lot of people who are raised in the charismatic movement actually tend to go towards the fundamentalists when they've mm. become disillusioned for one reason or another. Um, 
they they get a, they get tired of 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 the purely experiential and they find something that's so scripture centered and so reliant on scripture Logical. that it's like oh my goodness like this is this is so much more you know there's so much more meat or so much more whatever here well sometimes to get to that experience you're told to disengage your logic side or you're not right. told it's just implicit right or that you disengage your logic and go more with what you feel and what right. you connect with emotionally and those kinds of things and then the other pendulum swing back is saying, I need to logically understand. Right. I need something that digs in deep. I need to anchor to something solid. Right. I need a system. Right. You know, something like that. Right. And and I think the, the biggest, the, the two, like, if I can condense the biggest flaws of the charismatic and the fundamentalist movement, it's that the charismatic movement at its, at its, at its worst extreme is God always wants me to be happy. And I don't just mean that in the sense of like the, the prosperity gospel type. But it's like somehow God is always fulfilling, Healed, He's always happy, doing, always happy, always whole. And the the fundamentalist side on the on its worst extreme is God expects me to be miserable. Both of these things are lies. That have that have somehow permeated these two systems for whatever reason, and these are the things that people rail against when they get whatever revelation that swings them back towards the other side. And uh, you know, I remember hearing John Piper. God bless him talking about somebody saying that they enjoyed ministry, that they're having a blast and that they love it. And he got on him for it, for saying it was fun. And he's like, no, he's like, fun is not a good word. Like you're going to die someday. Like, and he's bringing like all these, like, and I'm like, there's no joy in what you're talking about. Like there is no joy. Like you cannot tell me that Jesus did not enjoy his life. You can see it all throughout scripture that he took actual pleasure in the people he was surrounded with, in the creation that he got to experience, in the meals that he took with people. He wasn't just always looming and glooming over his own imminent demise. And so this idea that we're somehow supposed to be so serious-minded and sober-minded all the time, I'm like, no, like that's a miserable existence. Why would anybody want that Jesus? Nobody would be attracted to that Jesus in the flesh, and they're certainly not now. Yeah, one and of the fruits of the Spirit is joy. Right. Like, it's something that He naturally produces right. in people. And yet, at the same time, I don't want to be around somebody who's just a basket case, yeah. who has no direction in their life, and they're just completely blown by the winds of emotion and all those things. And Jesus was not that either. And He is our example. Whatever He did, whatever He was, whatever He... He is our example. And so... And again, I know this is a totally random rant, but it's just gotten, I've gotten on this kick no, for fine. whatever reason. But, but I feel like so often systems that we create ignore those things. And oftentimes it's because we've been burned by a system that did the opposite. And so we create something that guards us from that burn, which I understand that's human nature to, to you know, that was hot, don't touch it again. I get that. But there is, as, I, as we so like to say, there is a middle way here. It is not one or the other. It is a both and, and one serves the other. Um, one helps the other. You know, we have to have the experiential things with the Holy Spirit or else our faith is dead. Our, 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 our experience with him is dead. It's nothing but religion. But we have to have foundational things. We have to adhere to sound doctrine. We have to adhere to genuine theology. We have to come back to scripture or else it's nothing. It's just, it's just smoke in the wind. And so there, there are all these things that I feel like these movements, whether it's deconstruction or some of these things, like they're birthed out of a lack of balance. Ooh, that's a pleasant sound. Yeah, sorry, my phone started ringing. Do you need to answer it? No, I think we're good. Okay. Yeah, anyway. Sheldon's I think we're good always make me nervous. 
because that's such a it's such a non-answer. Yeah, it's anyway. We're good. But um, <laughs> but again, whether that's revelation, whether that's all these things, you know, the idea is like, oh, we're gonna just ignore this, or we're gonna talk about it all the time. Like, there's there's no balance, and and balance is just so is so important um, to any of these systems, any of these movements. Like, you've got to have a reasoned reality of what's going on in them. Yeah. And uh, there's just a lack of that. And it produces problems. You good? Yeah. It was just my wife checking in from something earlier today, and it's already handled. So <laughs> we're good. I love all that. I want to be like Norm MacDonald, who just takes a call in the middle of an interview. <laughs> <laughs> when he was on The View, he had that stage. Like, he took oh a phone out goodness. with him and had I somebody call story. him. And he just took a phone call. Well, they wanted, have you ever heard? They wanted him to do that. Oh, yeah, that's what it was. That was their producer was like, oh, this is going to be funny. And he's like, no, it's not, but okay. And he just kind of went along with it, I think, because he knew it would bomb. <laughs> but I think that's when he got he got uh, uh, banned from The View after that interview, because I think that's the one where he called President Clinton a murderer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's like, oh, I thought that was fact. And Barbara Walters got very upset with him. And it's funny to see Barbara Walters get very upset. Oh, chill, Barbara. <sighs> Isn't she dead? Is she dead? Maybe. I feel I don't like she know. might have died. <laughs> Oddly enough, which is ridiculous, I'm confusing her and Joan Rivers in my mind at the moment, which they're not at all the same genre. Is Joan Rivers dead? Joan Rivers is dead. I do know Joan Rivers is dead. Huh. But they are not the same genre, but they do kind of just basically do the same thing. Did kind of do the same thing. Anyway. Too many people are dead. We lost <laughs> Betty White. We lost the Queen. All the Dude, have you, did you share that meme with me about the Queen and Betty White? Yeah. Oh my word. That's that was me. That it was, was like so funny. Oh yes, because the queen died at ninety six and <laughs> Betty White died at ninety ninety nine. Wasn't 99, she ninety nine? Ninety eight. Ninety nine. Yeah, she was about to turn hundred. So we're like, ha, we, we beat the British again. <laughs> we are the champions. Oh man. <laughs> Our yeah. old lady. That's a bit. I will tell you though, that has been an interesting thing. I mean, I I don't have, I don't have affection for the monarchy like so many. Right. Americans seem to. I do have some genuine affection for Queen Elizabeth. I, right. I believe. Gen I mean, if you ever watch, go back and watch some of her her Christmas uh, Day messages. Did you watch? It? I've seen. I've yes. seen a bunch of them. I over think the we years. watched it together one time. Yeah, but. but just genuinely, I mean, she genuinely was a believer. And granted, it was within a certain, once again, a certain system, and it does come from our background, you know, yeah. in, in that it's Anglicanism. Yeah. Uh, but um, genuinely, really. So much so that even in the crown, they could not the crown the series. They cannot ignore her faith. They actually showed interaction that she had with Billy Graham and some different things. Um, I don't know how you miss the gospel presentation even in her funeral. Yeah, I thought it was so very clear. well done. So clear, very well. And done. and so I do have genuine affection. Had genuine affection for her, and I think the world is worse off for not having her in it. Right. I I think she losing her is a loss to the world. Yeah, the and queen, is a loss to Europe and is a loss to obviously Great Britain. The Queen was without a doubt. A, um, a a believer, a sister in Christ, and yeah, it, I of the world leaders looking across the board, there there was I can't name one off the top of my head that I had more respect for. Yeah, currently than than her. And that being said, I had a major problem <laughs> with the United States flag being lowered to yes. half mast. Yes, like literally, she was my favorite foreign leader. And yet, I feel like every time the British monarch dies, we should not lower the flag to half-mast. 
all flags should be ordered raised two <laughs> feet higher than they were before. And if that's not possible, we're adding on to the flagpole. Every flagpole in America, we have the money. We just print it. It's okay. And, and we're just going to make it two feet higher than it was before. And then when Charles dies, all flags go up two more feet. Because at no point does our flag bow to the British monarch. I, I do agree. I do agree. I don't care that they're allies. I do agree. We told them to take a hike in 1776, and we don't care what happens to their monarchy. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I do agree. I do agree. And and I, I do think, though, that, that there's the twofold thing for me with, with and I'm her. And I'm a Canadian yeah, citizen, right. which makes me a subject. Which makes you I a subject, care. but also not a subject. <laughs> it's, an, it's an interesting combination, that. But um, I, I do... There's there's two aspects for me. One is is the... Like you said, the 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 familial connection because of her being a genuine believer, right? But also just the reality of history, the connection to history. I mean, this woman served in World War II. This woman walked with Churchill. Walked with Churchill, you know, yeah. with with as well. Obviously, you know, uh, uh, um, oh my goodness, why and can't Thatcher I remember? Yeah, Margaret Harvard, Thatcher, yeah. and and. You know, I didn't was, know how far you were jumping yeah, forward. Yeah, was you know went through all of the things you know like the the whole war on terror and I like the connection to things that happened in history that well, this woman was, was connected India, to. Was India independent? No, initially when uh, when she when she came, I'm yeah. pretty sure India was not. Yeah, and it was a whole. It's a. It's been a whole. And now they're almost the most populous country in the world. Right, right. India has been the sleeper in all this stuff. Everybody's freaking out about China and India. Just like we're just gonna over here. If you guys want something that'll trip you out, Google countries by population. Yes, India is knocking on China's door. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. And China, a lot of people paid attention to them over the last 20, 25 years economically because there was so many people, and they got away with a lot because hey, they're right at at a certain point. If you're in the business of selling something couple billion people sure can't hurt. Right. And so like they get away with a lot, but as their population declines and they are a population in decline. They've they made being, choices that have put them there already. Yeah. The the one child policy was devastating and people are finding out that people are an asset. Yes. Like population is an asset. Yes. And that is um counter to what we were taught as children. Yep. Where you know, population is a problem. How will we feed all these people? Guess what? Smart people were born mm -hmm. that figured things out because people are an asset. They are not this whole population balloon myth is yeah. utter garbage. Yeah. And actually a lie from the pit of hell that allows people to kill people yeah. and not feel bad about it. Right. Because, oh, we're curbing population right. and all this stuff. Like, right. The people are a gift from the Lord because he creates new life. Yeah. And we're creative, like yeah. our maker. Yep. So I'm, I don't know. I'm interested to see what happens because as India overtakes China in population, it will be interesting. It will that be. E economically, what happens. Well, and it's even interesting. I, I, I know this is such a random grab bag. But Dude, again, we this haven't talked about podcast episode <laughs> is full of them. But I, I've, it was interesting because Kayla and I have been watching The Amazing Race because it's one of the few shows that we can watch together. 
uh, because Kayla always wants to watch intense things, and I'm like, ah. life is intense. Give me something stupid. Let's watch Bob's Burgers or Parks and Rec or whatever. And she likes those things, but they're never her first pick. I've even got her watching the Orville, which thrills my soul. Um, and I hate reality television, but I like the amazing. But race. sacrilegious Star Trek is wonderful. <laughs> I'm, I it, it really Orville. Is. <laughs> it, sh- Orville. it is. It is what Star Trek should be. Right. <laughs> it really is. Um, but you can tell that they're lampooning certain oh, things, which is wonderful. For certain. For certain. Um, but I hate reality television, but I like The Amazing Race because it's actual competition. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't really, they don't do the, like, let's make this seem like a more intense moment. They have some moments like that, but it's not like all these other ones. But anyway, and they were in China, and they were talking about Shenzhen, which is a, a special economic zone. And so I paused it. I was like, do you know what a special economic zone is in China? And she's like, no. I'm like, it's capitalist. I'm like, it is just pure, you don't have to follow the rules of communism in this place. We're admitting that communism doesn't work. But only here. But only here. Because it's useful for us here for control out in these boonie places. But right here, we'll let you do these things. And it works. And and so I wonder I you wonder You just have about, to look at Hong Kong and oh, Singapore yeah. and oh, yeah. things like that. And that's the thing. China did look at Hong Kong. And they're like, right. why are they thriving, separated from us? Yeah. It, just this little, you know, city. Nothing special about the rock they're on. Yeah, nothing at all. And so there, it's, it's, a, it's the most interesting admission of defeat of a communist regime that I've ever seen in my life. But it's also scary because they've not given up the controls of communism. They've just changed the economic landscape of it. But I, I was thinking about that, and I'm like, and I meant to actually send this to you and Ross, because Sheldon and I and my cousin Ross have just a, a running commentary on Marco Polo where we just talk to each other about all kinds of random things. And I'm like... Is it actually as horrible as people would think the amount of influence and control that China is currently having? Now, I still have issue, obviously, with the communistic ideology, with the, the, the refusal of acknowledgement of God, like all the, the Marxist things that come along with that. Yeah, the genocide of Uyghur Muslims. Right. Yeah. But, they're, but they're basically, they've admitted defeat. This isn't a, an aggression like we saw with the Soviet Union, where it's like, no, we don't care how many billions we kill we're going to prove our point and we're going to do the thing. It's more like, yeah, okay, you guys are right, but we don't want to say it out loud, so we'll start to do these things. Whereas in the United States, you're seeing the opposite of that. It's like, how can we put more controls and less free market and less of these things? And so you have to wonder, and, and India being another example too, as some of these places are becoming more dominant world powers, just by nature of their population alone, what's that going to do in terms of these social theories that we think we're brilliant about that have failed miserably over generations, what's that going to do as they're, as they're using the tools that have worked and willing to say, we'll use the tools that are work without damning them for no reason and transition slowly into, I don't know, it's, it's not even a fully formed thought, but I've just been thinking about that, like how this is just different. Like what China is doing is different, even though the regime is an evil one. Right, the way they're they're phasing themselves through or out or I don't know what allowing capitalism to flourish in pockets and still controlling it. Yeah, but but at the same time, it's not something you can control. Right, and they have to know that. Well, that's why the heads of some of those companies just disappear. Yeah, so they can regain control. At this point, but again, how long can you keep doing that? Especially when it's proven that what you're doing works. I don't know. It's Aren't just, we the third most populous country in the world in the I United believe, States? I believe we are. At 330-some I believe million people. Yeah. And we have more guns than people, so good luck, yes. everyone. Yes. 
Yeah, but it's it's going to be interesting. I mean, these these next decades, and and I think I think Africa in general, the whole continent, is another sleeper, um, because there is a lot. There is a lot economically happening in, happening in the on the continent of Africa right now. Um, basically, the same thing of like we don't want to rely on government. Like there there are these these libertarian ideas that are starting to be born in, in what we would have considered the third world. And they will not remain third third world if these things if these things really hit and take over, yeah. and that's the biggest thing that I think. You know, people like the Bushes and these people who had an imperialistic idea of the United States if we're going to take democracy all over the world that people don't understand is like, people have to discover this for themselves, because yeah. culture certain cultures can't do it. But I, I will say if it's imposed upon them, I will say one of the things that concerns me the most. Yeah, is having a little bit of a window into the agriculture world. Mm. I'm a little concerned to watch Europe say taking hard lines will not spraying anything. Yeah. Um, like you weed control is really, really tough. Um, you look at why some of the farmers are revolting over there and it has a lot to do with the government, just not letting them do what yeah. they could do in order to produce the most food possible right. in the most efficient way. You know, there's, right. There's farming practices that have made it possible for farmland to shrink every year yeah. and population globally to go up. And we still have an excess in the food supply. And as the food supply gets constricted by poor uh, central management mm -hmm. by governments and also like keeping uh, like all these environmental pressures that are on farmers and things like that, as we continue down that path, we may actually saw off the limb right. that a lot of the what you're talking about third world countries and stuff they're the first ones impacted because all the first world countries all your superpowers have enough money right. and power and influence and guns to get the food that they need and they're going to have food where it's not going to be is right. in places that s desperately need it right so if, as we continue to restrict our farmers and tell them what they can and can't do, and we get worried about the methane coming out of the back end of the cows, mm -hmm. and you know we're all worried that somehow farm is farming is taking away from water supplies and whatever we're worried about at the moment. Right. As you continue to pass laws and policies that harm farmers, you right. do realize that the very people you're harming are third world countries that right. are trying to rise right. up through the ranks and make things better. For their country. Right. Um, and, and the reality of it is, people, I'm sorry, governments are willing to kill their people. That's true. To do certain things and meet certain aims, governments are willing to kill their people. You've seen it all throughout history. And I know if you have a utopian ideology of, what's, of what society should look like, that just seems incomprehensible. I am telling you, as someone who has looked at history my entire life, happens all the time. Yeah, it happens all the time. You can look at the Soviets. You can look at, you can look at China. You can look at things that you know, the United States government did, particularly to Native Americans, literally sent soldiers and 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 buffalo hunters into Native American lands to kill off buffalo for no reason other than to starve out the native population, to turn the food supply, and force them to go in areas they weren't quote not allowed to go to, so that the government had an excuse just restrict their land and take things from them. This is this is par for the course. And as we just recently heard somebody say, if you believe the government is batting a thousand and always telling you the truth, in any government, 
that is a very strong stance to take, and, and yeah, I you defy you to prove it to no me. No conspiracy theories? Yes. Wow. I understand not believing all of them, <laughs> but none of them? So, so it, is, it, is, it is an interesting thing, because I think that the thing that frightens me the most about the whole environmental movement and push now, you know, the, the climate change, all this stuff, is it's, it's based on the idea that, like, humanity is a parasite. Yeah, that population is bad. And the, the sad thing is, is that most people don't realize what they're calling for is the genocide of other than themselves. There's a book that's called Abundance that just recently came out that I saw, and it is, it is super good. I think that's the title. I'm going to look it up, but I'm pretty sure that's the title. Yeah. Um, and it is talking about the population myth and also the food myth. Um, and some of that stuff. So I'll, I'll look it up while you keep talking. It's okay. Well, again, I know this has been very, Oh, it's very called super abundance. It's called the super abundance, the story of, oh crap. Now it just went to the, the story of population growth, innovation, and human flourishing in an infinitely bountiful planet. Um, yeah, it is. I, I do, I, I do think that's the better view, but it's it talks about some of those things that are going against the population myth. So. Yeah, but I, I, again, it's it's just this idea that that again, if we're the problem, you know, we need to we need to cut back. Who cares if people starve? But people aren't talking about themselves starving; they're talking about these this the ethereal other. You know, the the you know just the population needs to be shrunk. No, you're saying that people need to die. That's what yeah. you're saying. Like it's it's say not, it in the short form. Yeah. You're saying that people need to die. Yeah. And whether you're saying that needs to be done through, you know, not having children or through, you know, starvation of, of people in the third world or whatever it may be, that is what you are saying. And, and most of them are not willing to say the quiet part out loud, but it's starting to happen more and more. Uh, you, you watch government people talking from the floor about these issues. It is, it is not pro-environment. It is anti-human. And it's scary. That is a scary thing that... that uh, that plays on the fears of people in a way that very few things do to say, Oh, the, the, the planet's going to turn on us and reject all of us. So a few of us need to stop living or not have the chance at living so that the rest of us can survive on the planet. Right. And I, I think of George Carlin's joke, you know, the planet is just fine. <laughs> One of these days it is just going to shrug us off and we'll just continue just fine. He's like, maybe the planet just made sure we came into existence so that we could invent plastic because it wanted some plastic. It wanted plastic for itself. <laughs> <laughs> and again, obviously it's a very fatalistic and a very tongue in cheek thing, but but that was in his rant about who are the audacity of yeah. us to think that we can turn the temperature up and down. Yeah. He's like, the planet yeah. is fine. Yeah. And the we're, people are We're going away. <laughs> yeah. But the planet I is think, fine. I, and, and you know what? In the end, that's actually not a terrible point. Like, right. this planet has gone, if you, if you believe what science will tell you, this planet has gone in and out of ice ages. Yeah. We've been much warmer. We've been much cooler than mm -hmm. we are right now. And we will again. And, and there may be cycles yet to come. And... I would like to know all the industrialization that pulled us out of the last ice age. Right. What was that? Yeah. And what is the ideal temperature of the earth? And are you convinced that you have it right now? Right. <laughs> it's just what we like. And that's what it comes down to. We're talking about preference more than anything right. else. And again, it's such somehow a, we landed on global warming. Well, and so you guys that are still with us, you're, yeah. you're slugging. Well, and it's such an odd argument because the whole argument is people are dying. So let them die so that we don't have these issues. Like, it, there's no reasoning to it. It's insanity. You know, I'm also 
one thing that I hope I, I don't know, this whole, if it saves one life justification from the same people that are intent on wiping out millions of lives through their own policies. Yeah. I know. I'm sorry. It just baffles me. I don't I know. know that I can quite stomach well, it. Well, it's and again, it's because it's because there is the bait and switch of of people in power who are, who are just basically like, I don't mind the argument. I'm going to say whatever I need to one say. Life yeah, as long as we remain consistent. Right. Right. But that consist- life is worth right. preserving. Right. But consistency has never been a high priority of politicians. <laughs> never ever. No, it's it's interesting, man. I, <sighs> there you go. Yeah. Another thing that I did over the summer is that uh, me and Rylan watched through all of Clone Wars. I have so still not made it all the way through them. I'm watching them with oh, Strong yeah? right now. What season are you in? Uh, Ahsoka is there and getting starting to get independent. Um, uh, so like season three? I think we're like three seasons in, yeah. They're, they're really good, and it, it's good, it's good uh, bubblegum and stuff. You know, sit, sit down, enjoy it. And then off with whatever you do. Right. Good attention span for kids. 20 minutes at a pop. But I genuinely enjoyed it. Like, I... All of you know... It makes the prequels better. All of you know that I'm new to the Star Wars universe as an adult. And that kind of makes me a nerd going back through it. But my (laughs) kid loves it so much that he got me into it. And I marginally understand what's going on, but I have a built-in tour guide. Right. So every time they drop in on a planet, he's like, oh, that's... And and this is why it's important. And and I'll ask him, like, but how did they get here? Or why is this thing useful? And he'll just tell me. Like, he's encyclopedic (laughs) about the whole thing. So I had a little tour guide. Yeah. And it's pretty good. Um, and, And it's just... I guess watching through the whole Clone Wars, part of me wants to say, like, they took too big of a leap with the prequels and how they went through and how Anakin became Darth Vader. Yeah. Like, such a 180-degree turn in his storyline is not quite answered by Clone Wars. Like, the Clone Wars have a pretty good dude the whole way through. Right. Well... It's, and it's interesting. And it, it, chocks, it, it chocks a lot of the evil up to Palpatine. And I'm like, okay, so we're going to put everything at Palpatine's feet. And he's right. the central controlling thing. Even in the end, the last couple episodes where Maul is, Darth Maul is basically like, yeah, Darth Sidious is the great superpower. And there's only a few of us that could defeat him. Yeah. But I feel like it's inevitable. And... Yeah, it. I don't know. It it well, kind of baffles me that someone as powerful as the Emperor could do what he did and the way he did it through the Clone Wars yeah. doesn't totally jive. Yeah, I I don't know. It's it's interesting though because I've I've always been a very big critic of the prequels. Yeah, I I appreciated them for what they were trying to do. I don't think the execution was great. However, one fairly solid, two. Eh, the third one, so good. Yes. So, I would, so good. I would, I would say that the first one is pointless, other than the fact that it has Liam Neeson in it, and he is excellent, and the soundtrack may be one of the best Star Wars soundtracks of any Star Wars soundtrack. Yeah. Duel of the Fates is one of the best things ever written by John Williams. But Revenge of the, the Sith is a great movie, and I used to be very critical of that one, too. 
But I think, honestly, the sequels have shown me how much good character progression was actually in because whiny, annoying Anakin in Attack of the Clones to I'm just a solid good guy Anakin by the time we get to... Uh, by the time we get to Revenge of the Sith and like he's a grown person and he's matured. I mean, even think about his reaction to finding out that, I mean, I was just so amazed and invested in what was happening, even though I knew the story, watched it with my son for the first time, he'd never seen it. And watching Anakin's dealing with Padme telling him, hey, I'm pregnant, and you literally see on his face all the horrible things that come along with this and then him making the decision of like, no, this is a good thing. I'm not going to be upset about this. Like, this is great. Like, we're going to have a baby. This is wonderful. And making that choice, like seeing the maturity in the person and realizing too, and what you just said about Palpatine is that he, he, spoilers for those of you who haven't watched it, but for crying out loud, it's been out forever, so don't worry about it. But when he chooses to go against Mace Windu, when he chooses to cut off his hands and that, like, he, he realizes I have just done a thing that I can't come back from. Right. And so he doesn't come to Palpatine because it's what he wants. He comes to Palpatine because he's like, I eliminated all my options just now. And that was his, what have I done? And, and I never understood, like, how do you go from what have I done to, yep, I'll just submit myself to your teaching. It's like, no, that was it. His whole life was over right in that moment, and he knew it. And so he just made the choice, well, this is what I'm going to do now, I guess. And he was completely the thing that that really but shows. But then he becomes the biggest supervillain ever known. But like, it's but it's so much in because almost of, any right. universe. Darth Vader is the biggest villain. But I love the illustration, like because he just gave himself over to it. Like he gave himself over to all of it. He no longer said, "I'm going to restrain. I'm going to do." Like I already went this far, and so I have nothing else. So mm -hmm. I just have to do whatever it may be. And you see the deception, and like you look at him, you go like, "This guy's not actually evil." He's just been so deceived. And then on top of that, he's made decisions based on that deception. And now he's all in. It's like, it's like, a, it's, it's like watching an addict who it's like they just keep getting further and further and they don't gotcha. know how to get out. And that was the first time I saw him that way. And I'm like, this is a tragedy about him. Like this yeah. isn't, this isn't like how I became evil. This is how I, like this was my fall. This was not a, where I wanted to go. This is not what I wanted to do. But here's where I am. And then, of course, the death of Padme, like, that put him over the top. That just turned him into a ball of rage that was really self-loathing that he didn't have before. And that's what you see. You see the transition of Anakin actually hating himself because that was never a factor before. Like, yeah, he wanted power. Yeah, he wanted recognition. Um, and it's really interesting because if you ever read the um, – I read the novelization of mm. the uh, Revenge of the Sith, which is amazing – it's way better than the movie. They give you way more detail. But you feel his franticness of, like, I cannot lose Padme. Like, I have to save her. Like, that was everything to him. That was his whole point of existence. That was why he was mad about not being made a Jedi Master, because he thought that would give him access to understand how to make sure to make, you know, make sure that she would live. Like, it wasn't just about, oh, I deserve this. It was... Right. If you watch this, the sequels, he could have just forced healed her. Right, of course. Which the sequels don't exist. They're just <laughs> awful. They're awful. The aesthetic like, was right, oh, and nothing else was is right. A thing now. <laughs> I basically I and agree. Qui Gon is like, oh no. Yeah, I agree with Mark Hamill on everything he's had to say about the sequel movies, one hundred percent. But anyway, it's just really interesting, and that was the first point where watching it, where I'm like, this is actually really great storytelling, and and even knowing, even seeing these for years. 
I'm watching this movie going, oh, come on, just do the thing. Just don't do the thing. Like, like do the right thing right now, and, and you don't have to do this. I felt that in yeah. that moment. And that's crazy that a movie that you know the outcome is still doing that for you. That's, that's something. That doesn't happen often. Yeah. For a 20-year-old film almost. And the, the thing with the Clone Wars also gives you some th- sympathy for the clones yeah. as well. Yeah, like all of the clones become like friends, and Rylan is so good at identifying them as we're like watching them <laughs> from he's their colors like, and their like, oh, that's Captain Rex. Their oh, specific that's tattoos. Oh, that's like, yeah, strong starting to he's do got, that too. He's got it all down, and he's like, and even one of them will show up just random. He's like, oh, that's it. He's just like calling them out, and I'm like, right, okay. Well, and then of course that puts more emphasis, and that's one of the things that's so interesting to me about George Lucas, is the way that he did this stuff. It was like, I'm gonna imbue more meaning in the thing I already created by giving you this backstory. So even like you go through the clone wars and then all of a sudden the betrayal of the clones during order 66 has so much more weight. Cause you're like, right. you've been with these people for years and you trust them implicitly. And I've seen where you've saved you their see lives that and in you've clone done wars. these. Yeah. Have you watched yeah. all the way to the end? Before? Not all the way yet. Okay. Not all the way yet. You We're get, getting there. You get to see that in yeah. Clone Wars, like up close and personal. And that's crazy. Like it, that is, that is a, a masterful bit of storytelling yeah it wasn't like it was in the movies where it's just like and we're all done you know what but what also baffles me is how the clones were these hardened warriors that were trained their whole lives for battle and then you encounter them in the movies and they're stormtroopers that can't hit the broadside of a barn and i'm like (laughs) there's all kinds of theories with that too what all of a sudden the aimbot left or what yeah well and also that that it's intentional because of the things that the emperor is actually trying to get out of they're intentionally dying. At least intentionally not killing people. Oh. In a lot of senses. But yeah. Gotcha. Anyway, that's totally random. But yeah. I I think I think that uh yeah, I think that Revenge of the Sith is a is a legitimately great movie. It has its moments where I'm like, oh, that's a little cringy, but it's it's wonderful. And you know what I said when I watched through all the Star Wars movies the first time? Yeah. Uh, Revenge of the Sith was my favorite. Yeah. It is my third favorite, I have now decided. So okay. Empire will always be my favorite. I, I love the emotional reality mm-hmm. of everything that happens in that. You know, Han Solo getting tortured for no reason just to cause him pain so that Luke will feel it. Uh the fact that Vader is just toying with Luke in that whole battle and Luke thinks he's doing well and he's not at any point. Like there's just so much emotional intensity that goes on in that one. I love that. Everything has weight in that film. Um, my second favorite is probably Rogue One. Rogue One is an excellent movie. And, yes. and I am so glad that was my introduction to Star yeah. Wars. And I'm going to tell everyone to start at Rogue One. Yeah. My Start there. only complaint about Rogue One is they never should have showed Leia's face at the end. Yeah. That that yeah. in in the theater it took me out of the moment a little bit because I went it, it was too uncanny valley. Like you can tell that's a CGI image. And even Tarkin I wasn't as bothered with him even though you had those moments. They did it much better there. But having Carrie Fisher do the thing again it, it that was just a little too much. Um Excellent movie, like really great, and would have been great even if it hadn't been in the Star Wars universe. It was a great heist film. I like, I like what Rogue One added in. I liked so much the end of was it Mandalorian season two? Two, yeah. When when great. Luke shows up again, it's so great that that is worth having in Star Wars universe. Yes. It was so good to have that. Yeah. Um, and of the other extra things that got added in, all of Mandalorian was fine. Book of Boba Fett was great. Still haven't watched it yet. That is, that is phenomenal. And honestly, it's just a great Western. Yeah. Such a good Western. Love it. 
with Cad Bane. And I'm all, all about space. I'm all about oh, space westerns. So good. Firefly. And it actually mm. takes it takes Star Wars back to its roots yeah. as a western. Yeah. And you get that have in we Mandalorian. Ever watched, have we ever watched Firefly? I've watched it. Okay, I couldn't yeah. remember if I had you watch Firefly or not. Yeah, you made me watch it, and I truly enjoyed it. It was <laughs> way way too short. Now I never oh. did go watch the movies, but the movie's good. Yeah. It was too much into one yeah. thing, but it was still good. Yeah. Oh man. We didn't talk about no. We t- Clone Wars is what we we set out to did, talk about. Did that we tell bit. anybody at the front end that we were going to talk about Malcolm X? I, you might have mentioned it, but we're not going to. We're going to just wait till the next one to talk all right, about. Let's that. do that because we've talked about enough things and we've been all over the map and we're an hour in. So yeah, that's enough. Yes, but yes, ladies and gentlemen, we'll do this again. Soon. We will do it again soon. I don't know about next weekend. I don't remember what's happening with us. Ah, either way, yeah, we may give you two weeks in a row. Who knows? Yeehaw. Surprises. But anyway. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll see you later. Thanks for joining the conversation today. The Things We Say is produced by Nate Ward. Technical direction is provided by Sheldon Stauffer. You can subscribe to The Things We Say on SoundCloud and iTunes. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at The Things We Say Podcast to keep the conversation going. This has been The Things We Say. See you next time.